Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us at Life Family Church Podcast. We exist to reach, disciple, and empower people to live in the fullness of God. If you're new to our church or want to learn more about us and what we believe, you can check us out online by simply going to lifefamilychurch.net. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, turn with me in your weapons manuals. Get ready. Um, you know, Pastor uh, asked me to preach again. Mother's Legacy Series. You know, the Mother's Legacy Series started uh, in our lives before we had this church. It was in 2010. And I found myself in Texas on Mother's Day, pastor had been ministering, and they asked me to do the AM service. And it, they didn't ask me, naturally, until I arrived in the, in the state. <laughs> I think people uh, think it's fun not to give me time to prepare, because I like to be prepared. And anyway, uh, so Pastor Todd sprung that on me, and I got to stay in the hotel room and meditate, and the Lord said, um, you know, write these things. And it was really part of my testimony at probably one of the most challenging uh, years of our life, especially with our children. And so a mother's legacy began, and if you're interested in those, you can, in the Source Center, ask for all of them. This would be... um, 2019 and 2011. Um, 2011 was a legacy of the word. And it was interesting to me because Andrew and Chrissy here being children's ministers asked me to start uh, ministering some on parenting. Uh, because it's just, again, a pastor can't get, he only has 52 services a year. And I don't know about you, but 52 times of him preaching the word is not enough for me to live on. So, so we feed on the podcast and we feed on, on other things. And uh, I realized when they had made that request, I said, I already have. That this entire Mother's Legacy series <laughs> is nothing but parenting, how to raise uh, your children. And again, it's not just for moms. It's for you two dads. It's for uh, if you're a godparent, um, if you're a grandparent, you know, it takes the entire body to rear children in the admonition of the Lord. Amen. So it takes a village. 2011 was a legacy of the word. Uh, leaving a legacy. You know, the things that you're leaving behind, only the things that remain will be spiritual things. So it's wonderful to leave uh, jewelry or leave a car or leave uh, financial, you know, blessings to your children or grandchildren, but those things are not going to remain. They're not going to help them in a living life from the inside out. They're not going to make them successful because sometimes those thing, things, Proverbs says, will take wings and fly away. Um, and you are leaving a legacy whether you want to leave one or not. It's automatic. And so the good news is we can choose. Even if today is your first day that you're going to choose to leave that legacy to those that are behind you. So either you have a mom, you, you are a mom, or you're going to be a mom in the future. Even if you are uh, not don't have your own birth children, but you're in a position of being a spiritual mom. The Bible instructs the older women to teach the younger women. And that's not just spiritual things. It was basic things. Um, a lot of the interns here uh, don't know how to load the dishwasher. So it's, uh, we, <laughs> we learn everything, uh, how to cut avocados, load dishwashers, and, you know, cast out devils, right? <laughs> it's all good, right? And so 2012 was a legacy of gratitude, a uh, huge difference between being thankful and grateful. And we live in a society where uh, children are not taught to be thankful or grateful. Gratitude is an action. Thankfulness is just a verbiage. Thank you notes are not written. In my house, you had a handwritten thank you note, even though you could use the computer. Um, and so those are important things because one of the things that we, one of the reasons that we don't receive the harvest from the Lord that we expect is, uh, um, the absence of gratitude in our lives. So it's important to instruct the due process from scripture on uh, gratitude. Amen. So 2013, I talked about a legacy of following, uh, anybody ever heard on a seminar about following? 
No, and even if you did, you probably wouldn't sign up because everybody wants the leadership seminar. Lots of books on that, lots of tapes, um, but that word isn't in the Bible, even though we teach a class here in the university, and of course, I get the blessing of teaching that, but Jesus said, follow me. So followership has to be instructed. How many of you were born knowing how to talk and walk? Oh, none, none of you. Okay. So how many of you were born again knowing how to talk right and walk right? Yeah, so these things have to be instructed. They have to be demonstrated. And it doesn't matter uh, what level you're demonstrating it, whatever it is that you've learned and know, pass it along behind you, even if you're only one day ahead of them. You know, if you're 40 and your kids are 20, so tell them, whatever I've learned now, I'm teaching you now. Why? So you can do it better and faster than me, because uh, you're going to have to take care of me later. <laughs> Just kidding. This would need you to be better and faster. Uh, legacy of a sound mind. A different kind of life begins with the way you think. We live in a time that the Bible speaks that people will have reprobate minds. So how do, you, how do you have a sound mind? How do you have an undisturbed, unperturbed mind? That's an important thing uh, to teach uh, young people today. How to stand, how not be not given to emotions. So 2015 was a legacy of truth. Um, just because something looks real, feels real, and sounds real, does that make it truth? Absolutely not. But in our society, people accept those things as truth, but they're not truth, even facts. So feelings are real, and things might, circumstances might be factual, but that doesn't make them truth. So how do you tell the difference? Those are things we need to instruct. Amen? A legacy of spiritual things. Uh, the things that pertain to the spirit are what remains. How to raise your children and grandchildren in the local church. 2017, a legacy of giving. Giving is not a moment. It's a lifestyle. Amen. It's not what you do. It's got to be who you are. It's got to be your, your nature the same way it is your Heavenly Father's nature. Last year was a legacy of hope uh, in a world where the Bible says also that men's hearts will fail them from fear. So there, there has to be hope. You have to know what your hope is and that your life is anchored in it through the storms of life. Because the storms come, right? The Bible says the storm came to the house. In other words, hell and high water, it's a coming. But what do you do when it comes? And so you, you have an anchor in the storm. Uh, these are the things that remain. They're called legacies. So this year, as I was uh, seeking the Lord on what he would have, he said, he said, uh, teach them on a legacy of a pastor. And although it's not normally, uh, it's normally a sermon I preach when pastor is not present. And if you're wondering if I've preached that four times in the last four years. And so again, you can access that through the podcast once a year, 2014, 15 uh, 16 and 17, but uh, a legacy of a pastor, spiritually and biblically in the scriptures, you will find as a Christian, a pastor is the dominant source of supply in your life, but the most unknown and misunderstood, the dominant source of supply. You thought, oh, I thought money, you know, if I gave him the offering, that would be my source of supply. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't say that. A pastor is the dominant source of supply the same way is the shepherd the dominant and almost exclusive source of supply in a sheep's life. Yeah, all the good things come to the sheep through the shepherd. So the pastor is, is not the door to be punched, kicked, and you know, busted open or ignored. It is the portal through which your future uh, can, can be accessed. It's the one that God has authorized legally for blessings to come that would not be able to come through another way because the enemy has rights too. God is a legal God. He put things in the earth that he can't change. But he made sure that there were legal ways that you could access much of that. So much of your forward progress spiritually dominantly would come through that particular door. And, of course, you'd like those scriptures, and I'll be happy to share a few with you today. Amen? So uh, the a legacy of a pastor. What is a pastor? The office. 
What does it encompass? Uh, how to receive from this God-ordained supply in your life. So how many of you know that, there, that a supply can be available to you, but you can't receive it if you don't know how to access it? So is a supply of water available in your home? But to access water, we're going to have to turn the faucet on, right? I read, I heard in the news there was a particular famous individual in politics that wasn't aware of a garbage disposal or the uh, process of it. So you had mentioned that to me, and you would know who it was. But anyway, uh, things can be available to us. Is food available down at Walmart? The supply is available to you, but are there, is there a certain protocol or method for accessing that supply? can't walk in and just take it, right? Because they'll probably put you in cuffs and haul you off to jail. So we can have a a supply of electricity is accessible right there, indicated by that outlet. But unless I know how to access it, have the proper device called something to plug in, will I be able to receive the supply? Okay, so a spiritual supply is available to us, but that doesn't mean that we're accessing it. So there, obviously in the word, there's a method. Um, and sometimes people have a lot of ideas about a pastor, but the Bible doesn't say that their office encompasses those things. Many people think that a pastor is a landscape architect, a general contractor, a financier, <laughs> and all those things. Uh, um, and he's not any of those things. But um, th- those are in the other four messages I ministered on, so I'll leave those out. So we have an available supply. Um, money comes through the hands of men, does it not? So the supply of money in the earth you can't access, it doesn't fall from heaven or grow on a tree in your backyard, right? It comes through the hands of, of another human, a man or a woman. So wisdom is available to everyone, but not everyone will access wisdom. So there's a supply that comes to your life through a true pastor. We can say like this uh, in many scriptures, mostly Ephesians and Corinthians 12, talk about the office, the fivefold offices of a pastor. So we could say it like this. A soldier is a person, yes? But a general is an office, yes? Is a general still a soldier? Okay, but he ha- he, he's not a general, he has the office of a general. Okay, so a pastor doesn't stop being a Christian, but he stands in a different office than, than, a, than a regular Christian. So in other words, that office is a mantle or a coat he has on, like your boss uh, stands in an office. He's still a human like you, but he has an office that has a supply for you a financial supply. And so you traded your time dollars for that financial supply. Yeah. So a pastor has a supply that God has ordained him to have for us that has uh, nothing to do with the person. So Jack doesn't have anything for you. Jack don't have Jack. Okay. So anyway, uh, that's why people say, well, why do I call, why do I need to call him pastor? Pastor is the office, and what I do is, like Elijah, I take that coat and I strike that water when I say that. He understands that he is not to hinder the supply. He is to let the supply flow and not stand on your air hose, so to speak. So if you want to access the supply in something, the first thing you need to do is address it properly. When I go to my dentist, his name is not Greg, it's doctor. I don't, I'm not interested in Greg. I want to know what doctor has to say about my teeth. I need to access the mantle and the supply to my life. And so uh, that's one of the ways that we have to uh, teach our children to recognize it. So the Greek word translated pastor in the King James literally means shepherd. In John 10, 11 through 13, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. So when he's, God has placed an under shepherd, which was a pastor underneath him, he said, he said in the Old Testament, there are pastors or shepherds after my own heart, which meant there were some that were not. So fortunately, uh, I can talk in front of him and say, we have one after God's own heart. Isn't that good news? Okay. So I don't have to flatter him. He's after God's own heart. So he gives his life for the sheep. So turn with me in your weapons manual to First Peter. And the way we instruct children, uh, the way God instructed Moses to teach them was to talk about this in our household, talk about the supply of the pastor, not about him as a person. Amen? And so if we don't teach our children about the different methods in their life of these things in our legacy series, then they won't know how to walk in these truths. Amen? First Peter 2.25 says, we were as sheep going astray. Now, remember, the Bible is not written to uh, heathens. It's written to Christians. So this is sheep or Christians. It's not talking about unsaved people. They're already astray. Uh, When it says you were sheep, you were Christians, you were going astray. That means you were wandering off the path of safety and truth and being deceived. Uh, So can you sit in church and be deceived? Yeah, you can be in Bible school and Bible school not be in you. You can be in church and the word not be in you. So you can be hearing externally or be present physically. I call it present in body but absent in mind. How many of you were present in body in algebra but absent in mind? Okay, (laughs) yeah. So it's possible to sit in church, present in body, but absent in, in heart and mind, and to be in church, but church not to be in you. You can sit and hear and not actually receive because you're not letting it get in you or not letting it work in you. And that comes through the, the doing of it. So you can sit in, in a church service and go astray. Now, generally, there is an external visible thing to that at some point. Most people don't recognize it first. The pastor always knows. They have a different look in their eyes, different look on their face, and, and you can feel the heart. But the seat usually moves farther back and over to the side. Okay, it takes about six months. <laughs> Same patterns called human nature. Yeah, Psych 101. And so uh, we can wander from the truth and safety and being deceived. So what the pastor ha- is authorized to do, the supply to your life, is to keep you if, through your participation. He can't force you. To give you the word, which will allow you to not wander, come back on the path. How many of you wandered you know, away from your mom when she said, hey, don't go far, don't wander? You had to pull you back. How many of you had to have a harness? Okay, pastor had to be harnessed to the tree. Yeah, wandering off. So uh, they're to bring you back so that you're not picked off, so you're not deceived, so, so that you stay safe. And so that's one of the supplies that he brings to your life. A pastor is a gift from God, according to Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. Number one, God says, for the perfecting of the saints. He is there to keep you going astray. Number two, he teaches us to win the lost. Mark 16, 15 is a command to every Christian. It's called the great commission, not the great omission. And so the pastor's job, obviously, we'd be to instruct us. The things that the word instructs us to do, the pastor can tell you how. Because sometimes you might go, okay, I see that in the word, but, but pastor, how? How do I do missions? So he provides the opportunity. He's going to tell you how and assist you in doing that. And one of the main ways he does that is by example, being not, again, like a parent, do what I do and not what I say. He says, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Do this and like watch me like a good parent. You say, watch me, Johnny, vacuum, and now you try it, right? Okay, so we're going to lead up not just in word only, but by example. The most outstanding characteristic of a pastor is a shepherd's heart. And these are the five things that we would see in that. He loves people and is loyal to his flock. 
He hears from God. He has a vision that people can follow, uh, and he states that vision often, and we do. It's actually in print in three different places at all times. In the connection, you can click on it, and that's the vision. Uh, and so it's in multiple places. I believe it's on the website, and I think it's been handed out. So uh, we make sure that people, if they want to know the vision, uh, they have that because Habakkuk says those who are reading the vision – those who are running by can read the vision. In other words, if I was out running uh, up the sidewalk, the reason we got a digital sign is because we wanted to make sure if you were running down the sidewalk, you could read it. (laughs) In other words, the vision is so clear and so plain, and we repeat it so often, put it in so many places, that you didn't have to stop running your race. Checking in with the vision. Yeah, good, going the right way. You know, so that you didn't have to stop and go, what was that? I don't know if I'm on the right path. I don't know what I'm doing. And so he's making the vision plain, making the vision simple, basically saying kind of keep your eyes on me. He's out there running. If we just keep our eyes on that, we can kind of follow it. But when we look down, we trip over a crack in the sidewalk, right? So we're going to keep our eyes following that. He prays for members of his church, John 17, 9. That's my favorite prayer in the Bible. If you've never read Jesus' prayer in John 17, 9 to the Father, it'll just bring you to your knees. It's so beautiful. And again, in Luke 22. Uh, Number five, he sanctifies himself through the word and prays to hear from God through fasting and prayer. Sanctifies means he voluntarily sets himself apart. So his motto in life is others may, but I may not. So there's many things he doesn't do or participate in, some of them not because they're wrong, but there's only a certain amount of hours in a day. And uh, if he's not just running his race for him, he's running it for us. So he has to set himself apart for more times of prayer and the word and fasting so that he can stay out there and he can stay ahead and he can stay interceded. Because when he comes in here Sunday and he needed a word from the Lord, it wasn't because he was watching Netflix all night, Friday night and Saturday night and just thought he'd get up here and go, well, I'll just wing it. He has to set himself apart so that he doesn't maybe get to participate in as many things as we would enjoy ourselves because he's got to spend time in fasting and prayer. I say better him than me, right? Yeah, on the fasting part. <laughs> I like to eat. Um, when I start fasting, he always knows when I'm going to be done. Somebody sent me a text the other day that was that Melanie said, I finished my 14-day fast in, in three hours and 15 minutes. And yeah, I was like bragging. I was like, that's me, except he's the one that asked me, are you done yet? Because you're getting a little cranky. Can you just eat a fast one meal? Hey, we're all at different places in our race, right? <laughs> Okay, so uh, John seventeen seventeen says, I sanctify, set apart, and consecrate them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. But in other words, he provides that example. So if you desire to sanctify and consecrate yourself for whatever God's asked you to do, you know how it's done by watching them. In other words, your motto can too be, others may, but I may not. And so if you have to set yourself, consecration is always voluntary. And so all of us are invited to participate. John 17, 19, he says, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself. In other words, so he doesn't have to do it at his level of Christianity, but the office of the pastor demands that he has further sanctification, not for his sake, but for your benefit. So he's not doing it for his own benefit. That they also might be sanctified through the truth. Amen? So as you're, you're eating lunch with your kids, moms and dads in the years to come or dinner, these are the things that you can instruct them. And of course, this will be on the podcast for you to hear uh, as m- much as you'd like. Pastors lead sheep. They feed sheep. They protect sheep and scout ahead for good ground. Um, 
And so what would that look like? What that is, is that's when we have guest ministers. Scouting ahead for good ground uh, means that when pastor brings in guest ministers, he knows that uh, when he's providing food for the table for the sheep, uh, he's not the be-all and end-all for that that God expects him to work with other five-fold ministers and bring them in here to share things with you that you might need for that year. Now, there might be a different minister in one year and, and not the next year. It's because that's under the unction of the Holy Ghost. What is that that flock of sheep or that company? We can look at it in military terms. Uh, they might be the Navy over there, but we're the Marines here. We're not doing what the Navy's doing. We're doing what God asks us to in Company A, you know, in the Marines. So what do they need? What training do they need for the vision that God's given the pastor for this direction to go. So he brings in uh, ministers to uh, fuel you along the lines of the food you would need, just like a great personal trainer or coach would be like, hey, today we're working on this and this is what you're eating and drinking, you know, for your gold medal, whatever you're running for. Sheep can be called by name. So when a pastor calls and someone doesn't come, they're not his sheep. They can be called by name. And uh, if you know, in the natural, if you've ever read anything on shepherds, that shepherds will uh, mingle their flocks during the day, five different shepherds, let's say, uh, anywhere in the world that they're still sheep herding, which is a, a lot of countries. And, uh, and so they'll let their flocks all mingle together. They're not concerned about it. And at night, each shepherd calls their sheep, and their, each sheep come out from among. They're not confused. By, by someone else's voice. They know their own shepherd's voice, so they fellowship with one another, we could say during the day, but, but when their pastor calls or their shepherd calls for night because he's going to provide the protection for his sheepfold, they come when they hear his voice. So the sheep respond to their own shepherd's voice. Uh, the sheep are anointed by oil, with oil by the shepherd to keep away flies and gnats. So one thing our pastor does is he makes sure that the oil vat is full. And that if you want to be oiled, you can get under the spout when the glory is being poured out. And what the oil does on you is it keeps away the flies and the gnats during the week, the Belzebubs, like he always says, bzzz. Okay, the reason we have oil here every Sunday, in other words, there's no lack. You don't need to come in for Sunday and go, oh, we're not having oil today. You know, we're having Twinkies. No, there's always oil here because it, it's from heaven. So there's always healing bread to eat. There's always new wine to drink. And there's always oil because you need oil put on you to go out that week to keep off the biting flies and the gnats so that you can stay focused and run your race. So it is, is his job to provide that. So we don't need to get tired of it. Oh, oil again. No, go on ahead and get eaten up all week long if you want. No one's making you <laughs> be oiled up. Like your mama, I don't want to put sunscreen on. How many of you every time you had a sunscreen, you're like, ooh. You know, you just braced for the, the sunscreen to keep stuff off of you or the bug spray. That's stinky. And she's spraying you down and you don't want to have slathered down or sprayed down anything. But uh, notice God did not include our enjoyment. It isn't saying where, hey, you're going to love it. No, he didn't even say that. <laughs> It was your decision. And so there are things you just decide in life. Um, I'm going to enjoy this because I don't feel like being miserable. Yeah. You can actually like stuff uh, because you choose to. It's amazing how you can actually take authority over your own emotions and thoughts. We're blessed that way. Uh, John 10, 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known of mine. In other words, they recognize him as a pastor, not a peer. The, uh, the pastor is not our peer. Your boss is not your peer. No one in authority is your peer. Your peers are your friends. Your friends are comfortable with your weaknesses. Your mentor or authority was designed to help you kick it out of your life, which sometimes is a little bit painful, right? Uh, your coach is not your friend. Your coach, if he coached you in running or swimming, they were not there to tell you you're wonderful and you're perfect the way you are. No, they're like, 
I must break you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to break you down and rebuild you. Yeah, and you're like, oh, geez. Okay. So these individuals in our life are to take you into your future. That's why they're, don't try to make them your friend and be social with them because, it, look, you reduce them down to your level. You cheat yourself out of them. One of the most valuable things you have. You, you want a friend? Be a friend. So Proverbs talks about how you can have friends. You can have, those are easy to find by you sowing friendship and receiving. It's almost impossible to find the right mentor or the pastor in your life. Yeah. Or, or, to, or to stick with that or be able to recognize it when God places you there. There's only one of them, and, and there can be 100 friends for you. According to Facebook, I, I've got 4,000. 4,000 perfect antisocial strangers on my Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, friend has become an oxymoron, right? And you know what I say about that? Light on the oxy, heavy on the moron. Okay, so a pastor, uh, number six, guards and protects his flock. And so uh, sometimes it seems like the pastor, we would go, wow, that seemed to maybe a little firm or a little harsh. Um, One time I was with uh, my sons, John and Joshua. They're 31 and 32 now, I think. And they were 14 and 15. At 14 and 15, they both were taller than me. I think uh, today John's almost six feet and Josh is is, uh, 5'9"-ish or whatever. But still, I'm only 5'3". So at some point, moms, you know your kids get taller than you really quick. Uh, But you never... They're 40 and you're still their mama, right? They could be 50, and you're still their mama. And so those are the instinctive things. And so we were uh, running around. We were lived in Tulsa. This is many years ago. And uh, Josh needed a, a dress shirt or something. And so it's like quarter till nine. It's, it's dusk where you can't see real well, but it's not dark. So it's not darker day. And we get out of the car and get ready to go into a, a, like a TJ Maxx in Tulsa, Jerusalem there. And uh, I, uh, somebody comes uh, around the corner of, of our car, and uh, the boys are, are still behind me coming around. And I can tell, they're approaching me, and I just knew instantly it wasn't, and it was a woman. And I'm a good, now I'm not a generally open, trusting person anyway, but I'm also not cynical and jaded. But I could tell peripherally there was another party, and usually people work in pairs. And so she was coming up quickly, didn't matter what she wanted. I just remember I went, don't. And, and John and Josh almost jumped back. And later, Josh is like, you know how he's Mr. Sweetie? Mom, that was so rough. I said, there just was no good there. And I turned around and be like, don't even think you're going to key my car either. It's like, you know, it didn't matter how, they were bigger than me. They could have taken care of me, but still they were my boys. And so a pastor, when he has his sheep, if it seems moments that it's coming out that way, it may not be directed to you, but he is going to take authority over somebody messing that shouldn't be messing with the sheep, with the church, because God has expected him not to abdicate. Taking authority that doesn't belong to you will get you in trouble with God, but abdicating authority that God has given you because you want to be popular or nice is also uh, God is going to give you, again, some serious pow-pows on that. So you are to exercise jurisdiction. And if you don't understand that, and if we have immaturity as sheep, we won't understand those times when there must be firm correction and there must be guidance uh, for protection for our lives. Either something's stirring in the body that he's going to deal with or something external is trying to come in. Either way, doesn't matter. We don't have to know he's going to deal with it. So there's moments when he's dealing with things, uh, and we need to just be okay with that. I remember uh, a few years back uh, also, I had a, uh, again, many moons ago before y'all were here, there was some situation we were dealing with, and someone was out of order. And um, generally, I let things go a long period of time. I think it was Pastor Josh nine months before I said, what part of over my dead body did you not understand nine months ago? You know, some people don't respond to diplomacy. (laughs) 
Um, so you're like, I tried Dale Carnegie. Rule number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And so let me just resort back to the violence. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Dry humor, guys, okay? And uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I know it's not always understood, but I, I think I'm funny. <laughs> just kidding there, too. And so uh, uh, somebody uh, was lowering their head because I was just firm. And usually me, it's just one sentence and, and we're all clear. I don't have to have a long paragraph when I have to exercise that. And uh, they had tucked their head like I was doing something harsh. And it was somebody, an employee, I said, don't ever uh, act like uh, this is being harsh, somebody else being scolded because you made authority look like they were wrong to correct something. And uh, there was another particular time we were traveling. It was the year we had done 259 ser services on the road, and we were still in Chicago the year before we moved here. And I had uh, get a pedicure like twice a year. I like pedicures. And I had gone into this little place by my house, just running there with a bunch of errands. We were off the road uh, briefly. Thought, let me just get you know this mess cleaned up down here and fixed, and the little toes polished. And I'm trying to enjoy the <laughs> the pedicure. And it's the only time I read a magazine on occasion. You know what's in, what's out. I don't know. By the time you're done. You still don't have any idea. Everybody else had a different opinion. Um, and so I'm sitting, and there's nobody there but just me here, and the door's about 20 feet away. And the uh, gentleman, the sweet Asian couple, you know, they didn't speak very much English. Uh, this man comes in, looked like a salesperson in the shopping center. It was during the day, and is talking to the little Asian man who has another nail lady he's doing about uh, – some sort of uh, cell phone plan or phone plan or and said, you know, and then the, the gentleman kept declining. No, thank you. No, we're good. You know, the Asians are very polite. No, thank you. And this man started being very, very aggressive and uh, almost uh, antagonizing him. He's like, you know, you need to do this. And he was very forceful with him. And I was noticing this in the chair. I thought he's almost acting like, you know, I'm from being from Tampa, you know, a mafia family. We lived in Chicago. There's two of the 12 mafia families. I was like, this, this is starting to smack of uh, extortion here, and this is not right, and he's, you know, um, getting very aggressive and almost dangerous to the point of this man, and so I just had my magazine, and again, sometimes a holy boldness, you forget that you're a woman and you're only five foot three, a sir, what part of, no, did you not understand, and he's like, start, says something to me, I said, if I have to get out of this, my feet are in hot water, I like it, if I have to get up out of this pedicure thing, it's like talking to four, and come over there and walk on this dirty floor, this is not going to be pretty, and so I'm like, the lady sitting there just looking at me, and I said, I'm going to, you know, myself, and call 911, and when they left, and I'm just like, he said no, get out, uh, she's like, thank you, I'm like, no problemo. Like, wow, yeah, so again, um, sometimes when the pastor is firm, it's because uh, the demons, the devil, the person didn't quite respond to the diplomacy. I assure you, he had exercise at great length. We're all like, just off with your head. Okay, so you get my meaning. He guards and protects his flock. That's what he's supposed to do. He sets the example for the flock to follow. First uh, Peter 5, 2 through 3 says, He's to feed the flock of God which is among you, and he is to take the oversight of. So his responsibility. And sometimes, uh, did your mama ever make you eat liver? Okay, if you're living this generation, they figured out that there's a better way to get iron. But my mama used to make me, and we didn't eat bites. We ate all of everything on the plate, and you were left to sit at the table in the dark because we weren't going to burn lights for you for two hours until you finished it. 
because there was no dog, there was no shag carpet to hide the peas in, and you, you sat there until you finished it, because again, starving children in India, don't try to tell them to pack it up and send it FedEx, because then you're going to get slapped into next week. And so, but I, when I was older, I said, my mom, you know, mom, anything that you have to smother with onions and bacon and you can't stop gagging, if, if, if bacon can't alter it for you, you shouldn't be eating it. Shouldn't be going down this hatch. Okay. If it's trying to come back up. And so can we take an iron pill? Can we eat spinach yet today? <laughs> And then, uh, you know, somebody ordered liver the, and, and when I was out the other day, and they didn't have it. I'm like, who would do that intentionally? Hey, everybody's palate is different, right? Okay. So uh, he, he's supposed to take oversight of. So in other words, he may serve up what you think is liver and even the onions and the humor and the bacons not killing the taste for you. Hey, hork it down. Okay. <laughs> hold your breath, hold your nose, take a glass. You know, we all did it, right? Because you're not going to get the canned ravioli that you wanted anyway. Okay. So he's number eight. He's liberal and cheerful in giving. And one th- it's amazing thing about our pastor. You're not going to surpass him in his liberal and cheerful giving. He's going to be the biggest giver. And he knows, and he'll give you the shirt off his back. And you did actually leave even your underwear in Honduras. Yeah, because, <laughs> hey, when they had nothing, even somebody else's maybe pre-worn underwears is better than none at all. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't exaggerate. I'm, when I say the shirt off your back, I mean what was on the other part, too. Yeah, they, too. Yeah. Hey, there was a hurricane. Okay, dire circumstances require, yeah, dire responses, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Paul had handkerchiefs. So if you don't have a handkerchief, yeah. Yeah. Hey, if, if, yeah, if something that gets thrown at you in a healing line doesn't look like a handkerchief, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. No, I'm saying, I'm saying. Just because I said, don't be thinking that it's the whitey tighties, okay? It's, it's a handkerchief, it's like if it hits you in the forehead. Yeah, he's a designer. Hey, who's doing the TMI now? Who has the microphone here? Yeah, the, the production's apartment, editing, 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 yeah. Okay, in some ways, God wants his sheep to understand their shepherd and pastors by, number one, members need to respect the pastor's need for quiet and privacy before service. I mean, over the years before we pastoring, I've been in ministry 25 years, but only been pastoring nine, um, I often heard people say about other ministers, oh, they're just holier than thou, and they're too good to speak to anybody, you know, because they're just floating back there and levitating in the ready room. Uh, <laughs> no, what they're doing is getting quiet to, to actually hear God. We want them to come out here and preach, pray, and prophesy, and rub our heads bald, and, and do everything for us, but we want to tell them about how we did not exercise the word in our life all week long, and how what a bad week we had, right, when they're getting ready to go and, and preach, you know, drop a, a grenade of bad news on them. Like I said, don't ask somebody when you come in the door, how are, how are you, because you don't want to know. <laughs> so uh, we, we leave him alone before he's preaching services, not because he's too good to fellowship with us, but because uh, we need that supply. And so we want to give him that time, that quiet for study when he's doing that. So it's for our benefit, right? Because uh, with our pastor particularly, and again, at least I'm not talking behind your back, um, he likes to be out here hanging out and fellowshipping and socializing. So he really has to actually restrain himself from doing that. So it's time for him to get quiet. Amen.
We want to pull on that supply. Uh, and so the second way that God wants uh, sheep to understand their shepherd is uh, receiving his counsel as the wisdom of God. So if you don't think he's speaking by the wisdom of God, don't waste his time with the counseling appointment. And so you don't go pay a psychiatrist 90 bucks an hour not to follow their advice, right? Well, some do. And then they need meds. Yeah. Or if you're not going to take them, you know, we might need them. Because okay. <laughs> we all got to live here and work together. And if some are going to be crazy, then others of us don't want to be. Okay. So uh, receive his counsel as a wisdom of God, realizing that he's not speaking to you in the natural as a, past, as a person. He's going to exercise when someone needs counsel, uh, the word and the spirit for your life, and you're tapping that supply. And so that's one of the reasons you don't want to become familiar with your pastor in his humanity, because he has imperfections but not impurities. Every human has flaws and faults, and, 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 and our pastor doesn't try to hide those. In fact, we usually use those as examples. Let me just tell you what not to do, what I just did and what not to do. Um, and so when we fall in a pothole, we try to climb out and post a sign there for you to read pothole. Amazingly, yeah. You all have seen Bugs Bunny. <laughs> So people don't always read the sign. Um, so he's dealing in supernatural wisdom, not human philosophy. So know this. A mentor is not the person's advice you listen to. It's the person whose advice you follow. So don't say someone's your mentor when you're like, oh, I just wanted to hear what you thought, but I'm going to go take an opinion poll because you're, you're, you're on one on the list of five, but I'm going to talk to my parents, my friends, and, and I always take a Facebook poll. You know, and so I had to tell one person one time, please don't ask me because I don't like to suffer by comparison. Just leave me off the list. Yeah, because if you're asking somebody, like if I want to know, um, my sister gave me a cast iron skillet, okay, which I don't really cook. You know, I've cooked a little bit now. I decided maybe I'd make that one of my hobbies. I'm supposed to be looking for things that are fun. And uh, so I found out something interesting, though. But, but see, when you give me something, it's a research project. What do I do with this? Okay, is my first question is, how is this different from this other nonstick Teflon pan? Yeah, there's going to be a problem because I tried this once 25 years ago in somebody's house on the road and everything fell apart and stuck to it. And usually I try things once. I'm a quick learner. I hadn't touched it again in 25 years. I made one chicken one time, never did it again. Didn't turn out well. Why would you make a chicken when Publix has already done it for you? That's illogical. And so this cast iron skillet, it's just like everything's going to taste better. Well, now on the other side of that, I realize it's a magic pan because it's made me a better cook. The same eggs I made in the Teflon pan just magically taste better in the cast iron skillet. So all of a sudden, I am a good cook if I can make it in there. But And so I, you know, I had to call up and say, and I think even Matt told me, he's like, yeah, you wash this out. Are we supposed to wash it or not wash it? You know, all the Google research at Rust or whatever. Well, eventually you can wipe it out and you won't even have to wash it. And, and, and I remember that advice the other day. I'm thinking, I wonder what point in this, the life of this pan this would happen. Was it going to be six weeks, six months, six years? Was it based on the usage? And my mind always has an ABC123 analytical, so then I have to pick up the phone, like the crockpot, Sherry. Uh, it said five different types of beef in this recipe. Chuck roast, rump roast, round roast, and something else. I was like, I don't want five choices. Why can't it tell me this is what you pick and this is why? Now I don't know what to pick because I don't know what's different about those. Well, I don't even know what they look like. So I have to go to the public session. So uh, everything, it can be a, a research project in your life. Amen? Too complicated. So uh, we're going to... Yeah. In other words... 
but this, my point was, you're like, what is the point? Um, when I ask a question of the person I call, first of all, I didn't call them to compare their knowledge. I already deemed them as the authority. Go, you use a crock pot. I've eaten what comes out of your crock pot. You're an expert. What is this part that I can't figure out? And I'm pretty smart. It seems to be extra. Does it really, you know, all these things are like, Matt, they, they cook a lot. They have a lot of people. They eat. They're all still alive. What do you do with this pan? And what's been your experience? Yeah, I'm going to ask the expert, and then that's enough for me. Yeah. So if, you need to, if you're in Tampa and you're stuck on I-4 and you don't know where to go, uh, my father is Google Navigator. Trust me. The Navigator, Siri, and the satellite can't touch him. Pick up the phone on speed dial. Dad, I got to get here. I'm here. Where do I go? He's like, wait, 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 wait. And I have a pen and paper. Write that down. Can you text that to me or talk about Because I'm going to inform my navigator because you're better than my navigator. So in other words, when I ask advice of somebody, I don't go ask of the other person. I went straight to the top on whatever it was. So when we go to our pastor, it's because we know he's been authorized by God to have the answer by the Spirit or to say, let me ask God and get back to you so we don't have to ask anybody else. And we don't have to keep talking about the problem either. So those are very important things to teach your children, mamas and daddies. Okay. Uh, So support their pastor by. How do we support him? By praying for him, his staff, and his family. The reason it's very important to not just pray for your pastor, to pray for his family and his staff, because uh, if Satan can't get to a pastor because he's fortified himself, the next thing Satan's going to do is attack the people around him, which will cause him constant distraction constant pull on his heart, weigh heavy on his mind to see people being taken out. Now, it's not that he hasn't instructed them on how to fortify themselves because he has, but sometimes they don't do what they need to do to fortify. They want the position, but they don't want to pay the price for that position, which means you got a bullseye now on the front and the back of you. Because like he said in the crusade, the first crusade we did, when uh, the people saw the miracles and he stepped down with the team, they all moved 30,000 people to touch and I was in the way. And they had no problem with removing me out of their way. So if you are next to a person, next to the pastor, or family, or staff operating and assisting them, then you are in Satan's way. And so stop being overly awed that he's attacking you if you're in a particular position. So it's very important as you pray for your pastor, you pray for his family, even if they're not serving with him, because they will weigh heavy on his heart and pray for his staff that they will remain strong and fortified. Because if they are, then obviously Satan will go towards the body. But as they're strong and fortified, they're there to serve the body and help them uh, get out of those deceptions of the enemy. Amen? So number two, and uh, basically some of the offering message, or Melanie said the scripture, providing financial support. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 9 says, It is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. So go with me to 1 Timothy 5, 17. And let's look and see what the word says. 1 Timothy 5.17, it says in the Amplified, let the elders, elder always refers to pastor or bishop, deacon refers to someone in the ministry of service, who perform the duties of their office well, be considered doubly worthy of honor and of adequate financial support, especially those who labor faithfully and preaching and teaching. If you look up that word honor in the Greek, it says money and valuables paid. 
So honor is not just something we say, pastor, we honor you, and etc. It is right, like Paul said, for the person who labors well, and especially in doctrine. We have a pastor who teaches the word regularly, uh, leads prayer. He teaches in the university. So he does a lot of teaching and laboring well in doctrine that we were to uh, give honor by our, in other words, by our hand. It was an action. And it was right for us to remunerate financially for the doctrine given to us, for that support. Like Paul said, uh, I can wait tables and clean the toilets, and I can too, like nobody's business. But it's, if I do that, I'll have to stop the study of the word and prayer and, and, and doing things like that. I had somebody asked me uh, recently, they wanted a pastor to do something. It was a, it was a, a family member that y'all don't know, and they wanted him to be uh, against something to them that uh, he, he's not called to be just accommodate their needs. And I said, now I'll be happy to relay your message that you would like him to spend time reading and studying and supplying you with this need. And I'll let him know that he'll need to stop casting out devils, raising the dead and healing the sick. Because what you're asking him to do is take this time that you've taken to become this person in your life and now become just like you. And then one of you won't be necessary. Because it, your gifting, you were to bring to, to him the same way brought to you, and you're now asking him to give the supply to you that you were to bring to him. I'll be happy to relay your message. Yeah. I'm just the messenger. All messages go from uh, you to me to him, right? Okay. So uh, he's, it says, uh, turn and let the pastors that stand preside and maintain well be counted worthy of double honor. Money paid valuables, especially those who labor, they work hard, and they feel fatigue in the word and doctrine and instruction. It's not that a pastor uh, needs your funds. This is what God has instructed. Our pastor particularly has a business because he wants to be a huge giver in the kingdom of God. But the most dangerous thing for you in your life out of, outside of not recognizing that you need a pastor and, and the one that God's picked for you is for him to be discouraged, him to be fatigued and tired. The main way he becomes that way is when he watches the sheep, he's instructed and works so hard for not take that word and not win in their life. And he thinks, does it matter? I was listening to Rick Renner and he had a quote. I don't know if you know Rick Renner. He's like Brother Copeland, but he's in Russia. Um, and he said, there are moments, even when he's in the perfect will of God, has a great life, knows that Jesus is coming soon, but he says, there's moments when I get tired and I wonder, is it even worth it? Does anybody even care? Does it matter? Because sometimes you cannot see. You're working so hard, toiling and laboring, wanting everybody to come behind you and win and, and fulfill God's plan in their life, and they're doing everything but that. So we, we want to be a blessing. We don't want to fatigue and, and cause discouragement to come through our pastor's life when he looks out in the, the harvest field and he says, oh, I'm so glad that the Smiths are just having a great marriage and winning. Thank God. I'm so glad. But if he looks out there and he says, you know, Billy Bob, Millie Sue, they just, you know, up, down, up, down, two steps forward, one step backward. That's a discouragement to his heart that you're not winning when he's worked hard to say, it's like a mom. Mom, have you ever fixed food and everybody came to the table and go, what's this? Did slap come all over you? Yeah, and they go to their, their room without supper, yeah. And so when you provide, worked hard at labor and provider, or you, three days at Thanksgiving and they horked it down in 20 minutes. 
and they didn't even offer to do the dishes. Yeah, and so our pastor labors and works hard to bring food and good food so that you can succeed in life. And uh, he wants to see that you're being nursed and that you're growing and that you're happy the same way a parent would as a child growing and prospering under their, uh, in their home. So number three, uh, we're talking about supporting our pastor. How about this, walking in love and forgiveness and realizing that your pastor is human and he makes mistakes, not impurities, but imperfections. Like we all don't have imperfections in our personality. Do, do, we, do we all maybe say things we shouldn't say at times? Maybe we say the right thing, but in a slightly wrong way. Yeah. And so not, not thinking, oh, I would have said that better or I would have done that better. Uh, and corrective even in our thoughts, much less our vocabulary. Instead of having pastor for lunch, you had him for lunch. And so walking in love and forgiveness. Christians need to be under one pastor. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, 18, and we're almost finished. You need to be planted. Mamas, daddies, teach your children that they're to be planted in a local church under one pastor, not pot plants. Uh, because pot plants, anybody know anything about plants? I don't. Sherry's taught me everything I know. But I'm told that pot plants get root bound and they die. And if you keep trying to transplant a pot plant, that's the surest, fastest way to kill it. Go, oh, you know, I think uh, I'll roll my pot over here to, you know, church number A because the music is just really hopping and lit. Yeah, and six months later, oh, I think they lost their mojo. No, you were mo and you were supposed to bring the joe. And so you get your little pot plant, roll over here and go, this is really fun because they have a motorcycle club and this is really my vibe and I feel really connected here. And then, uh, but you know, I just really don't like the way the pastor's wife dresses or her personality. So you roll your pot plant over here. You're already dead because you transplanted twice. The thing is you're the walking dead and you don't know it. So the Bible says that you are to be planted in the house of God, a, a tree uh, an oak of righteousness. That means you roots went deep and wide and you're tall and strong and no plant gets that way by moving it and transplanting. And sometimes one transplant, like the ones we did last week, they don't even make it once. And so, uh, not sure. I need you to come see. <laughs> Tell me. It looks dead, but is it alive? Okay. So 1 Corinthians twelve 18. Let's see what the Lord said about you being planted and whether he did the planting or you. Because some Christians are under the strange impression that they get to choose their church and their pastor. And I say strange because there's no scripture for that, so that's strange fire. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. Give me a second to get there. Okay. But as it is, God has placed and arranged the limbs and organs in the body, each particular one of them, just as he wished. Oh, doesn't say as you wish. So you don't get to plant yourself in a local body. God chooses that for you. And he saw fit. Um, I kind of think God's probably smarter than me. And so God's not placing you where you have warm fuzzies and you go, yeah, they're just like me. Hopefully uh, everybody in your life is not like you. Everybody on the staff is not like me because they have strengths that I don't and I have strengths that they don't. If, again, we're alike, then we're not gonna, one of us isn't going to be necessary and you'll say it's me and I'll say it's you, but I'll be right. <laughs> And so God places you in a place that you have something to bring the joint. See this knuckle? It's fitly supplied. It both gives and receives a supply. So you are to be placed in a local body, not for you just to receive a supply. You are to come giving a supply. So you need to find out what that is. If you're not sure, ask the pastor to help you plug in. Because if you're not receiving, it's because you're not giving. You get to receive. You don't receive anything. You don't give. So I just don't get to go, you know what? 
I think I want that knuckle down here on this pinky toe. And I'll just whack it off and move it. But that's exactly what you do when you uh, uproot yourself from where God has planted you. Because there's something you don't like. You don't like the music. You don't like the dress. You don't like the administrator, whatever. Um, Ever occurred to you there might be a whole lot somebody doesn't like about you? Because you took that whole lot about you somebody didn't like and, and foisted it on the next place, and now you're disjointed at a joint, and you got everybody else's nose out of joint when you showed up. Yeah. And so we're, we're to stay and be uh, transplanted, and we're, none of us are perfect in a body. And so what God designed is he didn't ask for that. He asked you to be planted, that you would grow. In other words, you were going to be pruned. You were going to be trimmed. You were going to be fertilized. You were going to be watered. And those adjustments were going to be made in you in that place. And God didn't say you were going to like it, and it was going to feel wonderful. Because I don't think my bush celebrates when I whack parts of it off. If it had something, it might be like, ow, do you have to do that? I mean, seriously. Yeah, it's March. It's got to happen every March and October, according to the Better Homes and Gardens lady. It's on my day planner. Get out here and whack that. Now, where was she that she told me to whack? Yeah. So the plant's not complaining. So we're not going to complain. So you're to be planted, not a pot plant. God has set that in there. So you teach your children. They're placed by God. And if you don't know, then you need to ask the Lord. And he doesn't, and let me just help you before you say, God said, move in your seasons up. What God says about change, one verse in the Bible, he changes not. And that he says twice about you changing in Psalms, he said that you were to swear to your own hurt. And in Proverbs 24 said that we were not to meddle with the person given to change. The only change God authorized was A, not him, you, because he's perfect. He doesn't need to change. Uh, was your internal change by his word, not your external picking up your pot plant and moving, moving uh, from relationship to relationship, bed to bed, bar to bar, job to job, church to church, that, that you would build nothing. You would build nothing and you would leave nothing. You'd be a taker and you would cause bankruptcy and, and yourself and others to be on the spiritual junk heap the same way as if every time I thought, I just don't like my front door where it is. I think I'll move it 10 feet over. Six months from now, I'm bored with that. I think I'll move my front door. What what would happen if we did those things? You know what? I really don't like those tires on my car where they are. I think I'll go down to the local car dealership and move these tires six inches backwards on each side because I'm bored. I want it. And then worse, I say God told me in a dream. Could we just leave God out of that stuff? Because he's not schizophrenic or bipolar. Uh, and, and, And I'm trying to make this light, but it's actually not. It's life and death to your family and to your children that they understand about being planted. The only time we have moved those things is when we were moved out of state. It wouldn't, wouldn't be possible to go. But it wasn't because we wanted to be moved or we were un, unhappy in there, even though there was m- much challenge in our life. Anybody have challenges in their families? Yeah, every Christmas and Thanksgiving, just like the Walton's wonderful at your place, not at mine. Yeah. Always. And so, in other words, we're family. This is life. This is how we do life. We're going to get along and we're going to figure this out because we're stuck with each other. And so we want to make the best of it. Same thing in a family of God. You just don't get... Now, we think in America that we can do that, that we can change jobs, relationships, partners, whatever, uh, as often as we want. But God didn't authorize that. And sometimes if things aren't working in your life, that's the where it needs to be. So we're placed by God, not our own choice. Does the person under authority have the right to choose their authority? No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So when, when you were in the military and you thought, you know, that sergeant's mean. I don't like that. Can I have another one? Anybody ever even try to ask that? 
No, because you weren't few fries short of a Happy Meal in the military. And if you were, you zipped it. And that made you, what Proverbs says, smart. Even the fool when he's silent is considered wise. Yeah. All Christians need a pastor in order to grow. So you're not going to, there's no such thing as a TV pastor. Because when he is your pastor, then why do you call our office when you need a tuna casserole and you're in the hospital and you want prayer? Or you need to be married or buried? No, call that guy on TV. Yeah, don't call here because we don't know you. (laughs) And I don't know how to do a tuna casserole. Okay. A true pastor teaches his flock to be fruitful and to overcome the snares of the devil and to come into unity. Unity was not automatic. It was going to have to be worked at. People talk about it a lot, but there's not a whole lot of action. It's one of those conversation things. He also teaches you to be faithful. Turn to Matthew 25, 21. Faithful is such a rare commodity today that Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? Will I find it? And if Jesus asks a question and doesn't answer it, that's something we ought to meditate on. You're like, Lord, you always answer everything in your word that you asked and everybody else asked. That one, he didn't put the answer to. He said, will I? I guess that meant it was up to us. Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, well done. You upright, honorable, admirable, faithful servant. You've been faithful and trustworthy over a little, so I will put you in charge of much. So God's provided the pastor with supernatural equipment, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. These gifts help him lead, counsel, and govern. Let me say it this way. The gifts of the Spirit keep a church clean, and sometimes that's why it's small. Small, eight by 10 room, but it's going to be clean. Yeah. So the gifts of the Spirit will keep a church clean because you can't just do anything and everything when the gifts of the Spirit are operating. So it's not big enough to hide sometimes, but that's what he's supposed to do. So how do we receive from this supply? So now we know biblically it's the dominant spiritual supply in our life, and we know what it is, which means we know some of the things it's not. Uh, How do we receive from it? You know, how do we turn that faucet on and plug it in? We've mentioned one thing already financially, but the second way in the words, only two ways, is prayer. Turn with me to Ephesians 6.19. Paul instructed them how to pray for him. It is right for a leader to instruct you on how to pray for him. Because again, you're not born knowing how to do this. When you went to your boss, they instructed you on what they wanted you to do and how they wanted it done. You didn't go to them and go, hey, what, my last company, we did it this way. They'd be like, this is not your last company. This is a different company, and this is the way we do it here. I'm not saying that way was wrong, but again, this is the way we do it here. So Ephesians 6, 19 in the Amplified, Paul said this, and pray for me also that freedom of utterance. Utterance means something said may be given me that I may open my mouth, which translates in the Greek, the front edge of a weapon to proclaim boldly, speedily, and mightily the mystery. Now, if you thought about the apostle Paul, if you don't know anything about personalities, you could still tell that he was operating in the D quadrant, the DC quadrant, dominant D, secondary C. Now you would think, well, that's very odd for the apostle Paul who didn't seem to have a boldness problem or an utterance problem talking. That's not what he's asking. He says, pray for me that I would have freedom of utterances. These were not natural utterances in his natural personality. This were heavenly utterances. Pray for me that I'll hear from heaven, that I won't say what I want to say in the natural, that I'll only say what I hear my father say. So the way that we receive from the supply of pastor is we pray for him. If we're talking uh, about him to God, we won't be able to talk about him to others. So we say, Lord, I pray that you'll put your words in my pastor's mouth that I need to hear today. 
So imagine if that on the way to church every Sunday, that was our focus, our thoughts, that we were bringing the supply, that we were praying that the water would flow freely. We didn't want a sprinkler hose. We wanted a fire hose coming in our direction. Why? For your life, not for his. His life is on the right course. You want yours to be ordered aright. So you are believing for utterances. Anybody ever been sitting in a sermon and he was talking about marriage and you got a financial answer? Yeah, you got an answer. You're like, oh my gosh, I just was looking at the scripture. He was referencing from this standpoint, but all of a sudden God showed me the entrance of his word brought light to a problem in my life. That's why you don't have to worry about what the subject is or what the person is. You can tap the supply from heaven. Acts chapter two says what they said was not what they heard. So whatever he's talking about faith, if you have a marriage problem and you show up and you brought faith and said, father, you're going to put your words in his mouth, then you will leave with your answer because God will not deny you your help and your help comes through the supply. He doesn't even have to know half the time. He doesn't know what he said. Anyway, you can tell me said something. He says, -uh." (laughs) uh. I never said that. Well, that's why we have recordings, right? So Paul said, pray for me that freedom of utterance. These are heavenly utterances. He asks them how to pray for him, but then he instructs them on how. So people have to be taught how to pray for leaders. Amen. Utterances also come through conversations. Write down what your pastor says. If you, if you want to ask him a question, come with a pen and paper so that you can write down because you don't want to forget that, right? That's a sense of honor that I don't trust my own mind. I'm going to need to look this back up and hear what you said because a lot of times we'll say, Pastor, he said this in a prophecy, and he says, no, get the recording. That's not what I said. And we go back and we listen to it. We're like, "Mm, yeah, I I left that part out. That's why it didn't come to happen and pass in my life because these things aren't automatic. So if you get a chance to have a meal with them, don't be on your phone. Don't talk about frivolities or Facebook. Pull on the supply. A lot of times people go, well, I don't want to talk to him while he's eating a screen scrambled eggs because I want to leave him alone. No, it energizes him when you tap the supply. It fatigues him when you deal in mindless minutia and frivolity around him because you're not honoring the gift. When he wants to go away and have a steak dinner, he's not with you. Yeah. And so when anytime he's around, write down what he says, watch his Facebook for utterances because he's not again, putting, uh, you know, I was eating a bologna sandwich on the back porch and just thought you should all see it. Okay, he's putting stuff on there that'll further your life in Instagram. So write down what he says. If you get to be a meal with him, tap that supply. And uh, pay attention. Again, those sources are food. Listen to the podcast over and over because what you heard the second time. Anybody ever listen to something the second time and go, where was I? I don't even remember. I, I can tell by hearing this, I'm not even sure I was in the room. Because, again, you only retain 7% of what you hear today. I would say maybe it's a little less than that. So if I listened to today's message 14 times, I heard 100% of the content. That didn't mean I did any of it, though. So that's that's a little bit different, or memorized it. So you'd have to hear what he said 14 times to even get 100% of actually what he said. And uh, there's only seven days in a week, right? The second thing Paul said to him was pray for boldness. Why? Again, this has nothing to do with personality. Paul had no shortage in the boldness department, did he? But he wasn't referencing natural things. He was saying, pray for boldness. If you think our pastor has all he needs in that department, uh, that would be true. But again, Paul, look, pastors know that there are things from heaven, utterances that need to be said that people will be offended by because many are given to offense, the Bible says. And he doesn't want to hurt their feelings. So asking God to give him boldness is important that he'll say it the best he can, the nicest he can. But we need to be safe for our pastor that he's not thinking that he's not concerned. Oh, I don't know if I can say that because so-and-so's here and they'll think I'm talking about them. So we have, it's our job to grow up and be mature and be safe. And in the past when people have said, well, where you, you preaching to me, don't you hope so? 
What'd you get out of bed and comb your hair for today if you weren't hoping it was for you? And if the shoe fits, look for the second one. And you need two to walk. These shoes were made for walking. So don't we want the message to be directed towards us? Because that's what we came in here was to get a supply and we hope the shoe fit and there were two of them. Amen? Yeah. And so every sermon is, is directly for me and I'm glad of it. So he said, pray for boldness. Again, this was um, that the Lord would, you would hear out of your pastor's mouth something that corrected your course. You ever had a place in your life that you do an all the known word you know? And it maybe it's not that you, it's not what you know, obviously. It's what you don't know. What we need to do is judge God true and yourself a liar. If something's not working, the word works and my life is out of order. So I'm looking for a course correction. I'm looking to be corrected. Now we use the politically correct word called guidance. It's correction, as if correction's now a four-letter word. If, I've, if I'm one degree off and I was headed in New York, I'm going to end up in L.A. in three hours. I would prefer you give me a course correction. So if you're here and you think you're on course and you're not, God knows you're not, he's going to bump you and give you a course correction. But if something's not working in our life, let's look to the word to course correct us, and that should come through the mouth of our pastor. It's so, why? So we don't gutter the ball, we don't fall into the ditch, we don't fall into the potholes. If you're on a clear path and a nice smooth sidewalk, can you run faster than if you're, if you're off-roading it? Anybody run off-road? It's very hard. Lots of rocks, lots of potholes. You get your ankle twisted. Uh, You're going to have to slow way down. But if you want to speed up, you want to track nice and smooth and clean. And the pastor is going to be able to provide that for you, that course correction. So you're looking for correction. You're embracing it and seeking it rather than hoping it doesn't come and bracing for it. You need to run smack into it. We ask God for help and answers relentlessly. Then we dictate to him how it should come. And through whom it should come. Well, I don't like the package that it's being delivered in because it's a female body or a different personality or whatever. Again, you can't, you're not, God's not going to be dictated to you how you, want, how you want the answer to come, when you want it to come, or through whom you want it to come. Oh, I prefer this other type of personality. God is not really interested in our preferences, <laughs> is he? Yeah. He's interested in you. He loves you, but he's not moved by your personal preference. Uh, you know, we like utterances from the pastor and in prophecies when it's all about our raise and promotion or our, our spouse that we wanted or our new house. But we got to love all the utterances. We have to love the corrective utterances. Like, and if, if you're not hearing the corrective utterances and pastor comes into your personal life privately, says, so embarrass you and go, uh, six months ago, the Lord gave you this instruction through me and you're not following it just so you know you're not following it just so we're clear, because I'm just making sure you did know, because things aren't going, aren't going to go well if you're not following it. We have to love those utterances that we think are harsh or corrective or anything less than a spoonful of marshmallow cream, and, and, and God didn't go, everything's perfect and wonderful, darling. No, everything will be perfect and wonderful, darling, when you comply with the word in your life. But it's not always fun to hear something other than the raise or promotion. But we have to welcome those as, uh, in other words, when we stand up here in a prophecy line and God prophesies to one of us, uh, you need to change jobs or you need to stop doing that or whatever, and maybe it's quiet. How come we're not jumping up and down the same way when pastor said, hey, a raise is coming? That means we didn't welcome that utterance. And then the rest of us that were sitting there that maybe overheard there for the grace of God, go you. Yeah, go I. So we all want to welcome that. So spirit utterances set things right. 
as a congregation, moms in your home, it's your responsibility to teach. We don't, we can't be carnal Monday through Saturday and then call up and drain the staff through counseling and needs and mentorship and then come in here and just want to pull on uh, everything and not bring anything. The joint that's fitly supplied means you need to teach your children and your grandchildren that they were to come with a supply. You came with maybe a supply of finances, but you came with joy. It doesn't mean I don't have a need when I show up for dinner. Anybody ever been to a potluck or a pot blessing or whatever, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Uh, Did you bring all the dishes or did you just bring your one? But you brought a supply, right? And because you brought a supply, then we all got to enjoy that. Somebody brought meat, somebody brought potatoes, somebody brought dessert. We all enjoyed it. So you are to come with a supply so that you can give so that you might receive whatever. And maybe you didn't need the tuna casserole that you brought, but you brought that that others might be refreshed. So when you come in here, bring some faith and, and, and pull on heaven. Say, I'm coming, I'm Mo, and I'm bringing the Joe. Because pastor has not lost his mojo. Know this, and I'll close. 75% of what you receive is totally up to you, not the pastor. 75% biblically is based on what you pulled on for your faith. In fact, we know when people are pulling and not. Because when they're pulling, the flow starts coming out of us faster and it even surprises us. We can feel it. We can hear it. Out of our own ears hear our own mouth. And it's flowing when people are tapping and when they're not tapping. And when they're not tapping, we close services. We close classrooms. We do it early because they're not receiving. You don't need to beat people ahead. But when somebody's tapping, it'll just flow and you'll be refreshed. So 75% is what you Pastor can prepare all day long. And here's the, the scripture for that. Jesus could do no great work but save a few headaches he cured. Why? Did he lose his mojo? No, 75% of what those people got. How many times did he say, your faith, your faith, be it unto you by your faith? 75% of what you're getting in a service is because you brought a supply of faith, so you received what you pulled for. Only 25, and believe me, he's doing his 25%. Coming here, prayed up, filled up, ready to, ready to go. We have to tap that supply. You're going to have to turn the faucet on. Okay, the water's there, but you've got to turn the faucet on. So we have to ask for it. We have to come in faith expecting it. Amen? So you're leaving a legacy. Moms, grandmoms, godparents. This really could be, you know, father's legacy too. It's not, the word's not a gender feeder. But, uh, so, but we need to impart these things, whether they want to hear them or not. Don't become silent, moms and dads, grandparents. Uh, the older generation has tried to be silenced by the younger, and they've let themselves be put in the corner. You don't put baby in the corner. Get out of the corner. Open your mouth, whether anybody's hearing or not, and in part, because you cannot abdicate your responsibility. There are people that will hear. There are people that will need that food, and it is our job, God said, that we were to teach all those behind us. So if you're 50, anybody behind you? If you're 16, behind you? If you're 10, who's behind you? We were all given the same assignment to reach back and pull forward those that were coming behind us. Amen? So we're all leaving a legacy, and we're all imparting. But this is a very important thing in people's lives today. They don't understand uh, having a local church and a pastor and why their lives are not being forwarded, and they're not being aided, and they're not being fully supplied. This is the largest, largest thing. Amen? So legacy. Thank you for joining us this week. It's our honor to serve you and be part of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to check out our website at lifefamilychurch.net. Have a blessed week, and remember, the best is yet to come.